25 stories that made MLS I'm Neetal Ramen, joined by Toodle Ramen. And we are here at the Loft, episode 22. We're almost there, guys. We're almost there. We're well into 3.0. MLS 3.0, and episode 22, we are talking about, in particular, big expansion teams. Yeah, like, like MLS 2.0 obviously was an era defined by the designated players, but also had 2.0 clubs, right? Seattle Sounders, Toronto FC. These are clubs that define the era that also kind of embrace what it meant to be a 2.0 club. MLS 3.0, which we just talked about, this new era that we're in right now is no different. And we're talking about the two kind of big giants that's just joined recently that are the big 3.0 clubs, and that's Atlanta United and LAFC. In 2017 and 2018, respectively. Indeed. And so, um, the story I would like to start it is back in December 2001. Um, and here, Atlanta, Georgia. So we're recording right now in, in Atlanta. Um, and there's an announcement that's going through the press wire and through local media. And that's the Falcons, the NFL, Atlanta Falcons, are sold, are being sold to Arthur Blank, for about $545 million. Half a billion dollars. Yeah. So Arthur Blank, if you don't know him, um, he's a guy from New York, uh, and he has an accounting and finance background. And he rose through the ranks of a company called the Dalen Corporation. Specifically, that corporation owned a whole bunch of stores uh, and chains of stores. And one of the store chains that they owned was this store called Handy Dan. Handy Dan? Handy Dan. Handy Dan. Handy Dan. Uh, it's a weird name for a store. Hand, handy Dan. Handy Dan. Well, what kind of store is that? A hardware store, because he's handy. Um, and and Arthur Blank is the VP of, of finance, and the CEO at the time of this division was a guy named Bernie Marcus, right? And so this is a division underneath the corporation of the Dalian Corporation. This is back in the 70s. Um, they're, the Dalian corporations are taken over by a corporate raider um, by the name of Sanford S. Sigaloff. Sanford S. Sigaloff. On a scale of 0% to 100%, how sure are you that that's the pronunciation? Uh, a solid 45, 46%. <laughs> um, I just Sigaloff. know. Sigaloff. It sounds like a Bond villain name. Yeah, totally. Sanford Is that S- Sigaloff or Sigalov? Uh, v. Two Fs. Two Fs. Yeah. Definitely Bond villain if it was a V. Yeah. Because um, of the SSS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he took over the Dalian Corporation. He's known for um, basically taking over companies and then gutting them of like uh, of middle executives and senior executives to like boost profits. And so during this transition, there's like an internal corporate battle of which uh, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank lose, so they, they get fired from the Dalian Corporation in 1978. Before they're fired, they're working on this concept on Handy Dan, which they want to continue. And the concept is a basic economic concept, which is the economies of scale, right? So, I don't know. We lived in New York for a long while, right? Yeah. All right, you so, longer than me. All right. So, in New York, if you went to a hardware store, a local hardware store. Everything's so overpriced. It's small, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mine was on like on a Forty Sixth Street in Queens. Yeah, and uh, and like a hammer costs like maybe thirty dollars. Yeah, like thirty <laughs> something crazy. Yeah, yeah, because they sell maybe um, two or three types of hammers. I mean, probably more than that. Way more than that, but like, the point is they're, they're not, not holding home, that much. They're not Home Depot either. They're they're not uh, they're not holding that many hammers. So every hammer they sell has to sell for a certain amount of profit, mm-hmm. right? The idea behind economies of scale is that as you buy more hammers to sell, you're getting a discount. Mm-hmm. And because you're getting a discount, you can sell the hammers for cheaper. This is uh, buying in bulk. Yeah. I'm talking about. That's economies of scale. You buy in bulk. Yeah. You sell more because you're buying at a cheaper price. You can sell it at a lower price than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you make more profits, right? And so the concept of that means that you make a really, really large hardware store, a giantly large hardware store. And the vision of it was a one-stop shop for any do-it-yourselfer, I think was the name of it. Um, and the concept was called Home Depot. Yep. Yep. And uh, if it's hard to think about a life without Home Depot, um, but that concept didn't exist. A giant warehouse where you could literally buy anything. Yeah. And... It's cheaper than your local. You can even get plants if you want. (laughs) Yeah, Um, just go in your home. Yeah, find your Home Depot. And so um, they created the first store. It took a while, but it became super popular, and they started expanding and expanding. And by the mid '80s, they've fully taken over. They're fully national. Um, And in fact, Handy Dan Mm -hmm. is out of business by 1989. Right, Um, Marcus and uh, and Arthur Blank are. Full-on billionaires. Arthur Blank is the first president of uh, and co-founder of, of Home Depot. And um, in the 90s, he takes over as CEO, eventually stepping down in 2001. So he steps down. And he's like, I got to do something. Let me buy the Falcons, right? So 2001, 9-11 happens. Yep. It's a downturn of the economy. Um, and then he's been in Atlanta because Home Depot is based out of here yep. for a long time, even though he's from New York. Um, so, and the Falcons are owned by a family called the Smith family, and they've owned it since 1965, back when it was part of the AFL. AFL, this oh, is not the first okay. time we've talked about the AFL on this Shout podcast. Out to uh, Lamar Hunt. Yeah, Lamar Hunt had uh, teams in the AFL as well. Um, and the Falcons historically have been really bad, right? So they've actually, at this point, even from being around since 1965, all the way up to 2001, they've never had consecutive winning seasons. It's kind of it's it's kind of unbelievable to think about. For a while, that was like U.S. soccer, man. Consecutive winning seasons is like incredible. They've never had a Hall of Famer on the franchise. Whoa, whoa, whoa. what about Deion Sanders? Is that post? Uh, at the point of two thousand one, at the point of set, at the point of actually selling a team, they didn't have a Hall of Famer. Okay. Yeah. Um, Income is blank. He's worth $2 billion. But, but before that time, like Deion Sanders is like the... Did De- I don't know. I'll have to look this up. Did Deion Sanders go into the Hall of Fame as a Falcons or as a Cowboy? Or as a 49er? Definitely not a 49er. I mean, he was there for like two years. Oh, we'll look it up later. Yeah. Point uh, being, not a good team. Not a good team. Yeah. And so blank is worth a lot of money. He's local. Um, the economy is not doing so well. The team is not doing well. Um, so the Smith family accepts the offer at $565 million. Blank takes over starting in 2002, 
and they have a complete resurgence under Arthur Blank, right? So 02 to 06 is the Michael Vick, mm-hmm. Warwick Dunn era. Yep. Fun fact about Warwick Dunn, he's now a, a part owner of the Falcons. Oh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they make the NFC Championship game, I think, in 06. And then 2008 onwards, they start really becoming good. That's the Matt Ryan era. That's the era we're Matty in right Ice. now. Matty Ice, right? All right. So, like, Blake has a Midas touch a little bit with, um, with the Falcons outside of a few minutes in that Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, which oh, is that a, sucked. Which is yeah. a tragedy down here in Atlanta. Um, and so in 2008, actually, Blank wants to get into MLS. Right, and so in 2008, Seattle and Philadelphia were awarded new teams, and the next two slots are being competed by a whole bunch of different teams, including Atlanta, New York City, Portland, Vancouver. Now you said 2008. Yeah, this is in 2008. Oh wow. Okay, so it it's almost a decade in the making then. Yes, yeah, so it's it's kind of surprising. It's like you think about Atlanta's joining the league in 2017, but the first bid is made in 08. Wow. And uh, you know. They end up not making the bid because of why. The original bid was like, all right, let's pay the $40 million expansion fee. Blank can, get, can do that. My guess is going to be a stadium. The, the building of the stadium was going to be a new stadium, 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. And the original plan was to build it out in Kennesaw, by Kennesaw State. Yeah. So if you're not from this region in Atlanta, Kennesaw is a good, what, 45 minutes, an hour north? OTP, outside the perimeter. Yeah, it's definitely not in Atlanta. It's yeah. outside. Um, Thank God they didn't do that. Oh, man. That would, that would kill everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing nothing against Kennesaw. It's actually a nice part. part it's just not the same. But at like 20000 you know, it, it was the model, right? And so, but it required public funding. 2008, what happens? Uh, I'm not going to get this wrong again. Economic crash, which we're probably leading straight into another one. Yeah. The housing market crash. Yeah. Which means uh, no funding <laughs> publicly, right? And so that kind of killed the bid. Um, the bids eventually go to um, Portland and Vancouver, which we talk about in the Cascadia Cup mm-hmm. episode. And the part of the reason why they did it is because they didn't actually create new stadiums. They repurposed existing ones, right? Um, but there's a reason why MLS was really interested in, in Atlanta, and they kept talks going. So it didn't end in 2008 and 2009. Even through 2010, they kept going. Well, one, uh, we have to consider that Miami Fusion is no longer, so it's a whole region. Yep, yep. My, the, after 2000 or 2001, all the Southeast teams got contracted in MLS, mm-hmm. Yeah. right? And so there was in the Southeast presence, so that's definitely one reason from a geogra- geography standpoint. Second reason, Atlanta is the biggest TV market that MLS wasn't in. Right, and so in terms of getting kind of viewership, it was kind of a giant uh, gap in the in, in the map, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward a few years, 2010, uh, Blank is talking with the league, but with the Falcons, there's talk about leaving the Georgia Dome for a new stadium, specifically a new stadium that one could have a retractable roof mm-hmm. so they can play outside. Two, can host really big events and attract big events into Atlanta, like the Super Bowl. And specifically the World Cup. They had the World Cup in mind because they were like, hey, U.S. soccer, I think at the time, was going to bid for 2022. Yeah. 
Um, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, it made uh, it ends up being 2026, but they were like, we can host World Cup games here, really big events. Uh, March Madness was supposed to be here. Um, and Blank was like, hey, I think this stadium, if we design it well enough, much like the Seattle Stadium was designed with soccer in mind, we can do the same thing here and we can attract MLS here as well, mm-hmm. right? And so in 2013, the $1.2 billion stadium was approved to start in construction. I mean, it's yeah. incredible. $1.2 billion for a stadium. Um, set to open in 2017. Garber um, just uh, expanded into Orlando, yep. right? Um, and Minnesota. Well, uh, we're Orlando, not talking about the... Yeah, yeah Orlando and New York City FC were together, yeah. right? So yeah. he's like, all right, let's do more expansion into Southeast. Um, of which Miami and Atlanta would come into play, right? Yeah, so Mi- I, I, meant, I meant that Atlanta and Minnesota United came out the same year. Right, yeah, right. And so um, in 2014, the deal was finalized as part of Minnesota and Atlanta, both mm-hmm. teams paying $70 million in expansion fees, Atlanta starting in 2017, right? And that became how Atlanta United got, got its team. Later in the year, in 2014, the Chivas USA is killed. Yep, it's done. Um, we talked about it in the episode called New Owners. The owner of Chivas USA was a guy named Jorge Vergara. He bought um, the rights to Chivas USA for $10 million. Um, we talked a lot of reasons on why it didn't work out. We won't... How much did he sell it back for? He ends up selling it back to MLS for $40 million. Okay. Right? So he makes profit even though the team fails. Yeah. And then uh, MLS, within a few weeks from announcing the dissolution of uh, of Chivas USA. Is that when they announced LAFC? They announced LAFC. Like almost immediately? Yeah, almost in a few weeks. Um, and the the guy behind the bid there, because um, like one of the reasons they wanted to redo Los Angeles was they thought the strategy around Chivas USA was wrong. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but you know, tying it to a brand that stands for Mexican heritage players only um, to... Um, playing in the same kind of stadium as LA Galaxy, which means that you don't have the incremental profits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so they believed in LA to having a second team, but they believed that the stadium needed to be separate and most likely inside of LA, right? Yeah. And Do so, you think people feel about the Galaxy the same way we would if Atlanta United was in Kennesaw, that they have to like go out to Carson? I mean, there's definitely a, a huge portion of that. I mean, that's part of the rivalry between LAFC and LA Galaxy. Right. It's like, we're LA... actually in LA. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. But and yeah, also, New York City yeah. FC does the same thing about the, with the Red Bulls, right? Right. And so, the, it was actually led, the bid was led by a guy named Harry Wynn. Harry Wynn is the son-in-law of the Prime Minister of Vietnam at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so, he's pretty well connected. Um, he's working in a venture capitalist firm. Um, that specialize in investing in Vietnam. Obviously, he has connections. Uh, he was the guy who brought over Pizza Hut to Vietnam Whoa. and McDonald's to Vietnam. Whoa. Um, and then he eventually links up with the Hollywood producer, Peter Goober. And Goober is the CEO of Mandalay Entertainment. He produced films that you know, like Rain Man or Batman, mm-hmm. Batman Returns. Um, and with his resources that he's uh, gained through his career, he, in 2010, uh, lids a bid to become co-owner of the Golden State Warriors. Okay. Right? And when he buys the Golden State Warriors, he now has connections into the NBA, 
And then he partners with Magic Johnson to end up buying the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2012. Wow. So he's like, all right, I bought bought, um, the Warriors. Then two years later, I'm buying the Dodgers. And so two years later, I'm up for a new new sports franchise. And so uh, Wayne and Goober linked up to create a group to buy the LA franchise for MLS. They brought in Magic Johnson because obviously Goober had that relationship with the Dodgers. And then um, the entire group brought in a whole bunch of other owners and celebrities and, you know, things like people like Mia Hamm, Nomar Garcia-Para, Tom Penn, Will Ferrell. Like, I'm wondering if that story is true. I think it has to be true. Or maybe it's a joke. I can't tell where Will Ferrell was just kind of like not involved and then all of a sudden got involved by just like walking by as a bit and just sat in. <laughs> That's an amazing story. I haven't, I haven't heard that it's, one. Uh, so ch- uh, anybody listening, check out ESPN um, plus their documentary on oh, LAFC. Oh, it's got to be true. I, I, th- I think, but it's like, is it? Because like he was just walking by and they're like, oh, Will Ferrell, and he like sits down. And then later they have a conversation. If maybe, maybe, maybe I mean, it is true. I don't listen, know. the art of storytelling is weaving a story between truths and not yeah. maybe all of the truths. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a guy named uh, Vincent Tan, who's part of the ownership. He's like the uh, he's a Malaysian guy who actually owns uh, Cardiff City, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the group buys the expansion rights for the LA team for 110 million dollars, right? So MLS sells. The rights for Chivas USA for At 10. 10. Buys it back for 40 and then charges 110. Yeah. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty business. good. Pretty good business. <laughs> All in the span of like like the from the from buying back Chivas. To selling it back. I think it's like in a few months. Yeah. Wow. Um, so even though they announced in 2014 that they weren't they announced like LAFC announced that they're gonna take an expansion team in, at the end of 2014. They weren't actually going to start playing until 2018, right? So the mm. key is to not make the same mistakes as Chivas. Um, they want to be in L.A. proper, which means opening their own stadium. So the plan is, was to demolish the L.A. Sports Arena, which is the old home, of the L.A. Clippers and the Kings, and I think UCLA and USC eventually played in there for some time. But it's like mostly not used anymore. Mm. It's within L.A. It's an L.A. proper. And so they uh, have a plan to privately finance a new stadium, for about $250 million. It's approved in 2016, right? So they're going to start demolishing it. And then it's quickly uh, followed by a record $100 million sponsorship contract with the Bank of California, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's called the Bank mm-hmm. right now, right? Um, and since joining the league, both Atlanta United have completely taken the league by storm, right? Um, you know, expansion teams are supposed to struggle. Neither of these teams struggled in the beginning. No. They both made the playoffs. Yep. Atlanta wins MLS Cup in their second year, 2018. Yeah. LAFC has the best regular season of all time in their second year in the Supporters' Cup. Supporters' Shield, right? Yeah. Both had a few things to comment. First, they had multiple years to prepare for the seasons, their first season. Yes. So a lot of teams, when they get their team, they, they play the next year in MLS, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Right? So they had like about three years to, to prepare for it. Two, they go all out for coaching hires. Yep. Atlanta United, Tata, Tata Martino, legendary coach, LAFC, Bob, Bob Bradley, Bradley, yeah, re- legendary coach, right? Um, and they go big with front office hires like Darren Eels. They pull from Tottenham, Atlanta United, right? Two, 
they've completely changed the investment strategy in MLS, right? So most expansion teams try to find good deals, salary cap friendly deals, and you still have to do that. Um, and then they might get like one big name that they think they can draw people in, right? Right. These guys have gone almost exclusively in creating a Latin American talent pipeline, right? And yep. so um, the level of investment for players that honestly the majority of people in the city have never heard of until you get them. Right. Right. So Miguel Almiron, $8 million. We'll do an entire podcast on Miggy. Don't worry yeah. about it. Joseph Martinez, $5 million. Ezekiel Barco, $15 million. Leandro Gonzalez Perez, LGP, $2 million. Yeah. Franco Escobar, $1 million. One. Yeah, one. Eric Remedy, two. $2 million. Piti mm-hmm. Martinez. I think like 13 almost. Yeah, it? 12 and a half million. 12 and a half. Right? And we just talked about target allocation money. Like LGP, Franco Escobar, Eric Remedy. These are guys that are... Those are guys you can actually buy down. Yeah, with target yeah. Alloc- allocation money. LAFC goes the same kind of route. Everyone knows Carlos Vela. Mm-hmm. He was around 6 million, but... Diego Rossi, $3 million. Andre Horta, $7 million bucks. Damn, 7 for Horta? He ended up being a bust a little bit. but I mean, a lot of bit. But the LAFC ends up selling him back to Portugal, okay. getting half their money back, and then a sell-on in case he does really well. And then they go buy Brian Rodriguez for $8 million. Yeah, that's great. Guinea, um, and then Cifuentes, right, for $3 million. So mm. they've... They've really changed what it means to invest. If you look at the value, the transfer value of these teams, not the financial value, but the transfer value, um, they're by far the two best in MLS, which they've built in a few years, right? right. Um, they're up there with any team in Liga MX in terms of the value of their squads. Um, and they've both done excellent jobs in marketing and creating culture, right? So Atlanta United, I'm sure you can talk about um, but even before their first game, every bar you go to, you'll yep. find Atlanta United kind of banners. They used to throw events where the players would come out or Carlos Boca Negro would show up. Um, they would give people flags, so it became a source of yeah, pride. Just, just handed them out. And like you said, there's a source of pride of being in the city. Yeah. Right? And so they came around the same time the Atlanta Braves left. Yeah. To go out outside the perimeter, or outside of Atlanta, yeah. and so they were in the city. So it was like almost like a flag that says, "I am from Atlanta, mm-hmm. the city of Atlanta." Right? Um, the marketing, the amount of advertising that you said you saw in the first first year was pretty strong. Um, the design elements were strong, and LAFC, same thing. Yep. Right. The sheer amount of hey, we're in LA marketing the the rivalry between LAFC and LA Galaxy is El Trafico. Yeah. These are great marketing. Yeah. And, and El Trafico culture. is probably one of the best names for yeah. a rival. I mean, a, a derby between two clubs. Yeah. And so the um, the it can't be underplayed in terms of the culture they built so quickly, right? right. Yeah. So in, in Atlanta... They always, before a game, they have a celebrity hammering in the golden spike. Yep. Right? Um, the spike is brought down by people from the supporters club. Yep. Right? Um, LAFC. I mean, some of the best design elements, definitely wearables in the game, right? The marketing elements were there, and then the, then you have, like, incredible experiences. So Atlanta United, um, I think now is 
could be wrong here, but it's the top 25 in the world in attendance. No, I think that's correct. Yeah. And uh, LA, LAFC, it's a smaller stadium. It's like 22,000 people. Sells out every game. And there was a time before LeBron went to the Lakers where people in LA said the best ticket to get for a sporting experience was LAFC. Mm-hmm. Right? And so in a very short amount of time, they've showed how much MLS can be relevant in a big city Absolutely. like Los Angeles and Atlanta. They've shown completely different structures in terms of how to invest in teams. And the valuation of both those teams are the highest in MLS. So the last Forbes kind of study that they had, mm-hmm. Atlanta was valued at $500 million. About the same as the Falcons was when with Blank actually bought them. Um, now, obviously, the Falcons are worth probably closer to $3 billion now. But like, just to show you, half a billion dollars for an MLS franchise. And that's the valuation from Forbes. I think to actually get this team bought from Arthur Blank, you're probably going to have to pay a billion dollars i don't i look at probably yeah yeah maybe more yeah maybe more i don't know um i I mean like it's it's only three years in it's going to be even more valuable down the road yeah and lafc um vincent tan who we talked about Mm -hmm. as one of the owners he owned 20 percent of the club um he was just bought out by the other investors um and the if you do the math and how much he got, I think he got $120 million for 20% of the club. So if you do the math, that makes LAFC worth $700 million. Yeah. In two years, they built it. In two years. I mean, in two years since the joining, but like from the expansion uh, announcement, it's been six, right? Yeah. And so like, um, it, they really represent what MLS 3.0 can be. Teams that are hugely relevant in their marketplace that are excellent at marketing, creating community and culture, that invest a huge amount of money in terms of building the best squads, and right now are probably right up there with any of the Liga MX teams. And, and we've seen it, you know, in this CONCACAF Champions League with LAFC playing Club Leon in yeah. that game and that comeback, right? And so this is sort of the story of the MLS 3.0 clubs, the big ones in Atlanta United and uh, LAFC, and I think... You know, honestly, Miami, inner Miami is probably trying to follow that same path. Though, I have to say, as far as design elements go, inter Miami not looking hot. I mean, hopefully they can uh, they can improve in year two on their. I mean, their design elements are tight. It's just their jerseys not. Their kits are not. Yeah, like the players had to make the decision to wear the pink shorts. Yeah, it wasn't a great look. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, well that's the story. That's the story, and uh, what are your sources? Um, I got a few. One is Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank for Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, the Home Depot founder to buy Falcons by the Associated Press. Falcon owner to put in bid for MLS franchise by USA Today. Um, Atlanta might be considered by potential MLS owner by Doug Roberson for the AGC. Um, he's a local beat writer here for, for Atlanta United. Uh, Garber reaffirms Miami. Atlanta reaffirms as uh, expansion favorites um, by Ibis Galarsip um, for SBI Soccer. Tycoon's 10-year crusade to get Big Mac in Vietnam uh, for Reuters. An expansion LA soccer team plans a new stadium on Sports Arena site by Kevin Baxter for the LA Times. 
Do you know who I'd like to see the hammer and the golden spike? Who? The next Atlanta United game. Deion Sanders. <laughs> Deion Sanders would be a great shout. <laughs> Get Deion in there. Get I like Deion that. Get Deion in there. I like it. Prime time. Prime time. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Um, as always, follow us at 25 underscore, um, at 25 underscore stories on Twitter. Rate and review us wherever you can. And um, tell a friend. Again, we're in the last week of our of our kind of first 25 or the original 25 stories. Um, so there's three more to go. And so anytime you guys can tell anyone else about it and, and listen to the history of MLS is really appreciated. Yeah, and these episodes are evergreen, so you can listen to it now. You can listen to it a year from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, if podcast years from now. If podcasts are still a thing and the world is there, the world is still <laughs> yeah, here. The world is still here. You can listen to it. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. We'll catch you next time, guys. Bye.